Today on Pilgrim Radio's His People, Laura Perry Smaltz on going from transgender to being transformed by Jesus Christ. As God began just step by step, it's like it's all been a work of Christ. As he began to transform me, I had no hope of transformation. I did not think I'd ever look like a girl. I didn't think I'd ever feel like a girl. I didn't think I'd ever want to be a girl. I didn't think I'd ever enjoy being a girl at all. Laura Perry Smaltz, next. My guest today is Laura Perry Smaltz, a former transgender whose remarkable message of transformation through Jesus Christ to restore her feminine identity is told in her book, Transgender to Transformed. She serves on the staff of First Stone Ministries. Please be advised, portions of today's discussion may not be appropriate for younger ages. Laura, tell us first about your family, your upbringing. Do I understand you were raised in a Christian home? Yeah, yeah. You know, and we were one of those families that kind of the all-American church family, and we were at church every time the door was open. I was in Christian school. Uh, We were in every little church program and, you know, church choir, and I was in like a Bible drill competition. So I had a lot of the Word of God in me. Mm -hmm. And, um, my, you know, I had a very loving family as well, but I think as a very young child, I really began to believe lies about my mother. Um, You know, there's a lot of things I could point to. I I think a lot of it was so much jealousy of my brother. My mom had miscarried two boys between my brother and I. And so I think part of her attachment to him was really grieving those two boys. Mm. But also, they were a lot more similar in personality. Um, She was going through some major health problems, so she was very stressed out. She was kind of burned out. She she tells me in her own testimony that she felt like she was on this performance treadmill for God. She didn't have that deep abiding relationship, really abiding in the vine and, and being filled with the Spirit. It was a lot of her own efforts through the flesh, through her, um, just through her efforts, trying to work hard enough for God to be pleasing to God. And as a result, she was just extremely stressed out when I was a kid. She started having major health problems. She was going... Um, she had fibromyalgia so bad that she said mm. she couldn't stand for the sheets to touch her at night. And so I was born a little bit later in life. And so I was, as a very young child, my mom didn't want me to touch her very mm. much or to really be around. She was very sensitive to the noise. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of this perfect storm, but my very quiet, obedient brother, and I was not, I was probably ADHD. I was very hyper, very loud. Um, and so I, I would, rather than understanding that my mom had these physical problems as a child, I began to believe that my mom didn't love me. And I was told I I look just like my dad, I act just like my dad, and I was pushed toward him a lot. And so I really began to cut off my feminine identity. And I I didn't know how to relate to girls very well because I spent all my time with my dad and with my brother. And so I would, when I went to school and I was around the girls, it was like, I I would feel awkward and I didn't know how to relate. And so I would just go play sports with the boys. Mm -hmm. And so that was a lot of my young childhood is just, not not understanding and like I knew I was a girl, but I, I didn't know how to be a girl and I didn't feel like I fit in the world of girls. And you were athletic, you were extroverted, uh, yep. as, you, as you still are. And w- would it be fair, I don't know if anybody even uses this term anymore, but would it be fair to say you were something of a tomboy? Yeah, I was called that a lot. And it was funny because, you know, uh, that term was used a lot for lots of girls um, and many that didn't, that never did transition. But when mm. I was a kid, I used to hear that term and it just reinforced this lie that I was not like other girls. Mm. There was something different about me. And so in, in one sense, I liked it because, you know, I liked being really athletic and I was rough and tough. 
But there was a part of me that hated it because I knew I was supposed to be a girl, but I didn't, I wasn't like other girls. And so it caused a lot of conflict. Tell us, uh, and I, I don't want to jump over any big parts of your life, but what was that process? And we, you may need to, to take us through your teenage years to get there, but whereby you concluded that you were transgender. Yeah, it would be, you know, I'm interested if, if I could put myself in, in the current um, culture, it would be interesting to know. I think I would have been screaming at, you know, eight years old mm-hmm. that I'm really a boy and I've got to transition. But as it was, you know, I, I'd never even heard the word transgender. I had never heard of that concept of somebody actually transitioning, quote. Um, but I began to write stories about being a boy. And I, I wrote a lot as a kid. I filled notebooks. And um, even in my head, I would replay this scenario over and over. And I sort of invented an alter ego and I was a, a boy that had a younger brother that I was sort of this heroic brother and, you know, took care of him. Mm-hmm. And I, but I also, I was molested when I was eight years old by another boy. Mm. And after that, he totally rejected me. This was my friend's brother. So it was a very confusing time, but it sort of awakened this sexual curiosity. This wasn't some big older stranger, you know, uh, strange man. This was my friend's brother. And then he totally rejected me, wanted nothing to do with me. And I remember feeling used at, even at eight years old. I didn't really have the language for it, but mm-hmm. I remember feeling like I was just used and discarded. And I began to be very jealous of boys. Um, and I was really searching for my identity. I just, I felt like I didn't fit in with girls, but, um, you know, and then as boys got a little bit older, it wasn't so cool to play with the girls anymore as a friend, you know, when you're going through that puberty stage. Mm-hmm. And I, I was desperate for that, that love and affection I'd felt from men. My dad started working a lot. We started growing apart for various reasons. My brother went off to college. And I, I felt just completely alone. I, I was at a new school, so I really didn't have any friends. Um, very suicidal in like seventh grade. And then I started um, in eighth grade. I had lost a lot of weight, and I was uh, on the track team. And all of a sudden, I began to get this popularity. Boys began to notice me. And it reinforced this, this idea that I needed the affirmation from men to, to, to be secure and um, to be whole, in mm-hmm. a sense. And I started craving the affirmation of men. And so I started um, dating anybody that would pay any attention to me. And I was in relationship after relationship. And these guys would just um, really use me. And the more that I get, I always thought if I give them everything they want, then, then they will love me and they won't want to keep me. But instead, I was dumped and rejected Mm. and abused and used just over and over and over and over again. And uh, by the time I was in college, I was uh, deep into a pornography addiction. And it was, I was so desperate for men and for that, um, that affirmation and that security that I joined, eventually I joined an adult hookup site where it was basically no strings attached and just, you know, one night encounters. And these um, men still didn't want me and I was still rejected a lot. Um, A lot of it was because of my weight problems that I was having. Even the ones that did meet me, a lot of times would reject me. Mm. And I kept thinking that if I'm good enough, one of them will want me. But I just didn't understand God's design. I didn't understand why this was destroying me. And it really began to destroy my soul. I mean, it just, I began to really lose my identity. And finally, I ended up in this horrible relationship with an alcoholic and um, I remember thinking at one point, I mean, I just had to walk on eggshells all the time, and it was just a terrible relationship. And I remember thinking, if I, the reason this never works out is because I was supposed to be the man. If I was the man, I know how to do this. I, I know how to treat a woman. And so that's when I, I began to look up that concept after several months of sort of fantasizing about that and wishing I'd been the man. 
um, I began to look it up on Google and I was stunned at all these stories I found out there. And so that's when uh, I went to a support group and found these other people that were living as transgender. And at that point, really bought into this lie that I was meant to be a man. And that's when I decided to transition. Well, my guest today on His People is Laura Perry Smaltz. And she is author of the book, Transgender to Transform, the story of transition that will truly set you free. And uh, that's what we're talking about is her her story, her testimony. And uh, Laura, so so often you hear people who are transgender have a sense, or even since they were a child, that they were a a boy trapped in a woman's body or a girl trapped in a man's body or what have you. Did you have that sense that you were in the wrong body or was that necessarily a part of your of your thought process? You know, I never really had the language for that as a child, but definitely when I started to transition at 25, that's what I would tell people. I, I'm really a man trapped in a woman's mm. body. And I was so convinced I didn't even want to be openly transgender. I wanted to absolutely erase the existence of Laura. Hmm. And I wanted nothing to do with anything feminine or anything from my past. And I just began to I cut people out of my life. I, any any tide of the past, I threw away all the pictures, um, got everything I could changed over into my new name. And it's like I wanted to completely reinvent myself. And But it's interesting. I think, you know, we uh, people are now using they pronouns sometimes, yeah. which doesn't make sense grammatically. Right. Um, but or they'll say, I'm, I'm really a man trapped in a woman's body or a woman trapped in a man's body, whichever. And I realize those things that they're feeling, I believe a lot of that is coming from demonic spirits. Mm. You know, when Legion said, uh, used um, a plural <laughs> pronoun. Yeah, you know? right. And so I, I think that's interesting. Mm. I, I think that there is a deception that comes along with this. And Romans 1 talks about how people are given over to lust and then unnatural lust and eventually to a reprobate mind that can't even receive the truth. It's a mind that rejects the truth. And it starts, it's interesting. It says, God has revealed himself to every man. But then it says, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful they became vain in their imagination and their foolish heart was dark and professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the truth of God for a life. And I think it's interesting that um, it starts with that ungratefulness because I, I've, so much of transgender is rooted in self-hatred, but that self-hatred really comes from comparing yourself to others, jealousy, envy, bitterness, and being angry at God or feeling like you've gotten gypped in life. Why am I not as good as that person? Why do I have this and they don't? And I hear these stories over and over, and it's what Jesus said that sin, these things, he lists a whole bunch of things. He said, these things flow out of the heart. And, you know, we, we like to look at transgenderism as the problem, but it's, it's not the root of the problem. It's the fruit of, the, of a much bigger problem. Do you have a sense as to why? I think you've mentioned that when you began all of this, especially the idea of transitioning, it was around what, 2008, something like that? Yeah, it was 2007 when I initially started. And here we are 15, 16 years later than that, and being transgender is such a commonly understood term, and it's it's increasing all the time. Do you have any sense as to why? Uh, you'd, you'd mentioned pornography, you'd mentioned different things, but any sense as to why it's it's so uh, such a major issue today? Yeah, I, I think, honestly, it's... Um it's because it's being normalized. And this is giving, and it's giving kids an idea that wasn't there before. Now, in my case, there were, and there have been people throughout history that have struggled with this. This isn't anything new. The Bible says there's nothing new under the sun. You can find this in ancient cultures. Hmm. But it's relatively new in our society, except it was very 
you know, just a few people here and there that struggled with it kind of in the shadows or make the media once in a while. Um, but it wasn't a big thing in society until it began to be normalized in the media. And you can even see when um, when Bruce Jenner came out as trans, it was like a floodgate opened. And I mm. remember uh, just, think, you know, you could see almost overnight the, the topic of the entire nation started turning. And I was listening to a lot of talk radio back then. Um, I was still living as trans, but I was listening to conservative talk radio. Mm. And I, I began to hear the topics more and more and more were, were about transgenderism. And it's like, what has happened? This was, nobody talked about this yeah. you know, years ago. All of a sudden, this is the biggest issue in culture. Most people don't like themselves at some point in their life. Mm-hmm. And they're, um, they're being introduced to this idea. And then some kids now are being introduced to this idea long before they're questioning it, or even before they get into self-hatred or jealousy of others. There be, um, I've heard stories and know personally um, a friend of a friend, her daughters, she had twin daughters that were in preschool and they came home one day and they said, mommy, guess what we learned in school today? And she's thinking a new color, a new letter, you know, <laughs> right. And they said, we learned we might have boys inside us. Preschool. Yeah. Preschool. That's where we are. Well, uh, Laura, so I, I think you'd mentioned you were 25 when you were got involved with a support group and you kind of concluded that uh, I think that's me. I'm transgender. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm actually a, a boy or a, or a young man in that case. And so then the 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 concept, the, the, the verb transitioning. Tell us about that. What, how do you decided to actually go that way and what was involved in that? Yeah. You know, I had been living sort of vicariously through um, I had started a, an online simulation game sort of where it was I don't remember what it was called, but it was basically like an adult Sims type game where you could live as this other character. And so I really began to um, fantasize night and day about living as this guy. Uh, and that just began. But when I went to the support group, they, you know, within five minutes of me sharing my story, they asked me a little bit about, you know, my background or whatever. And within five minutes, they're like, oh, you are definitely trans. <laughs> I knew it. I knew this was me. And I was worried that I would never look like a girl and they said, oh, don't worry about it. After a year or so of taking hormones, no one will ever know you were a girl. And that's what I had wanted to hear all my life. It's like, finally, I can be somebody else. I can become the man that I'm supposed to be. And I can just erase the existence of Laura. And that was really like a hook that, um, that really allowed me to believe that lie and believe it so deeply. I was willing to do whatever it took. And I really didn't even think the whole process through. It was like, well, I'm just going to do whatever it takes to transition. And so I began to um, take hormones at, at age 25. I, well, I first had to go to a, a licensed therapist. This was interesting. Hmm. And I was required to have three sessions. And then she would give me a letter stating that I was diagnosed with gender identity disorder, which is what it was before gender dysphoria. A lot of people don't realize the activists pressured the, the creators of the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual that psychiatrists use. Um, to diagnose mental disorders, it was a mental disorder. And they, activists pressured them to change it to gender dysphoria. Anyway, so I was um, in the third session. It was like she stopped for a minute. She put down her notebook and she said, wow, you really have issues with your mom. And she was really sad and she could tell I was really angry. And I was stunned. I was like, whoa, wait a minute. How did we get from me talking about being a man to talking about my mother? Because I just, I had never made the connection. I was just kind of mindlessly answering the questions, trying to get to my goal of getting this diagnosis so I could start the process. Mm-hmm. And I blew up at her. I said, I'm not here to talk about my mom. And she said, so you're just wanting this diagnosis? I said, yes, that's all I'm here for. 
And she said, okay. And she gave me what I wanted. Um, gave me this letter stating that I was diagnosed with gender identity disorder, which I then took to a doctor who had been seeing me for years. And I had never made any mention of this. But here I take him this letter saying I've been diagnosed with this. And he said, okay, is this really what you want? And I said, yes, this is what I want. And he said, okay. And he gave me a shot that day. That was and it. And gave me a prescription. Hmm. Yeah. And it's like, uh, they just start you on your way. And um, then after that, you know, it's like each step of the process, it's so exciting and you just can't wait for that next step. And it gets there and there's this rush. It's, it's a lot like taking drugs. It mm. does numb the pain for a while. I mean, people will say, you know, it saved my life. I feel better than I ever have. Well, sure, at first. But then the excitement of that wears off, and then you're still left with all the brokenness you had before. And um, so it was like, uh, well, well, now I've got to get my name changed. And so then I got my name legally changed, and then I had um, a chest binder, and I had um, a prosthetic genitalia that I was using and things like that. And I just began to spend lots of money trying to make this real. And it still it felt very fake, and it, I kept thinking, well, once I fully transition, then this will all be real. And then I... Um, in 2009, I had a double mastectomy and had my breasts removed. And I remember I was excited at first. I was just on cloud nine. I thought this is everything I've ever wanted. This is amazing. But then I started to get very depressed because I realized that my surgery hadn't made me a man. And I was angry and I was like, well, at what point does this become real? Mm -hmm. And I, I thought, well, you know, it's because I still have all these female organs. I still have all these female hormones. Once I get rid of all of that, then it will be real. So I think it was in 2012 that I had the female organs removed. And that still didn't make it real. And I'm like, what? There's no female part love. I didn't understand God's design. Now that I've really started to study this, there are um, over, I can't even remember what it is now, like 6,500 biological um, differences mm. between men and women. And what, what is amazing to me is I started to study the, the body, every single part of the body is designed as male or female. Your sex chromosomes are in every single cell of the body. So it's a biological impossibility to have a female brain in a male body or vice versa because your brain, every cell of the brain contains your sex chromosomes. And while there are very, very rare um, conditions where there's genetic anomalies, things like that, that doesn't change the design. It's, a, it's, a, it's faulty evidence of what's true or it's... Uh, you know, there are those rare exceptions. There are birth defects, various things. But it doesn't change the fact that we are created as male or female. And so I, I didn't understand this at the time. So I didn't understand that removing the female organs was not going to make me male. And I finally, when I started to look into the genital reassignment surgeries, I got really angry. Because like, wait a minute. You know, this is still very artificial. Like, this is not ever going to be real. Mm -hmm. And I, I couldn't believe And on top of that, there were so many complications, horror stories that I have heard of. And then on top of that, they said like 40 to 60% risk losing all sexual feeling permanently. And I was, and then on top of that, I couldn't afford it. It was going to cost me almost $100,000. And I was so angry. And I thought, why didn't anybody tell me that this is what this was going to be like. I mean, they just tell you that you're going to become a man. Mm -hmm. And I really, I began to realize it was all a lie. And I, I just began to get very depressed. And I was like, well, okay, even if I saved, like I, I was going through it, you know, with my job at the time, even if I saved the maximum amount I could for the next 20 years, I might be able to afford this when I'm like 65. <laughs> <laughs> I realized that this was never going to be real, but I realized even if I had gotten the genital reassignment surgery, which I'm so thankful now I didn't, but even if I had, 
I realized that attaching this prosthetic to me um, surgically wouldn't have made me a man, even if they had used part of my arm muscle, which is what they do in the, the primary surgeries that they do in a lot of these girls is called a phalloplasty. And they take part of the forearm muscle to create this neophallus. And I thought, even if they did that, I mean, that's still very artificial. It's mm -hmm. not going to function as a man. And I, I began to realize I, I was in a job by this point where I was only known as male. Nobody knew I was trans. And I was standing in this group of guys one day and we're just talking and all this. And I realized there was something so deep inside me. I couldn't explain. I couldn't put my finger on it. But there was this deep knowledge that I was not a man. And I knew I was not like them. There, I was like, I'm just not wired that way. There's something so different about the way that um, men think, about the way they relate. And it just was a very different thing. And it didn't have anything to do with the surface, you know, the, the stereotypical things that we talk about. There was something so much deeper. Mm. And I, I just began kind of drifting through life. I, I couldn't figure out what the point of life was. It wasn't Christianity in my mind because I had tried that. I grew up in that. But I didn't know that I'd never known the power of the Holy Spirit. And I didn't, I'd never had that relationship. And so I just, you know, I, I was really um, very disillusioned and very depressed, very suicidal at points. And um, I just, I, it was like I was completely restless, like just wandering through life. Laura Perry Smaltz is my guest, and uh, her, her book is Transgender to Transformed, a story of transition that will truly set you free. She works for First Stone Ministries today. She speaks and travels widely, uh, telling her story of transformation. Well, you, you had uh, surgery, Laura, hormones. You legally changed your name to Jake and so forth. How did you... Uh, and, and I know that, ironically, uh, of course, you see the way that God works. There was a connection to your mom with how you came to Christ or came back to Christ, depending upon how you want to define it. But tell us the story, how how that happened. Yeah, that's that's what I love so much. And that's one of the reasons that I share my mom's story. One, one uh, I have, I've had so many parents really identify with my mom. I think so many Christians don't really understand what it is to, to have that deep abiding relationship with Christ. And we're all busy working for God. Now, she still does a lot for the Lord, but it's through the power of the Holy Spirit, and it flows out of that relationship. So is she really—this really broke her. It was interesting the way God wove our stories together because it was me coming out as trans, and I'd had about 10 years of rebellion before that. She'd been dealing with me for years, but this really broke her. And she went home and just threw herself on the floor, and she began to cry out to the Lord, and she said, God, I'm so tired of trying so hard. I can't fix this. And God said, finally, I've been waiting for you to admit you can't fix this. And he really began to uh, change her and my dad as well. But there was just a, a bigger change in my mom um, that I really, I saw over the years as she just began to be transformed. Um, she says in her own testimony that she was kind of a legalistic Pharisee. Um, she's very judgmental and critical and kind of hard. And she just began to be filled with faith and peace and was just... And over the years, I kept wondering what was happening to my parents, and they weren't chasing me anymore, and they weren't preaching at me. I still knew where they stood. They never compromised, but it was like, mm -hmm. um, but I just began to see that Jesus was just becoming their life. And it wasn't a religion anymore. I mean, it was just, they had this joy that I couldn't explain. They had this peace that I couldn't explain. And then my mom asked me to make a website for her Bible study. Years later, she'd been teaching this Bible study. And um, so I agreed, really, just because I needed the money. And this was not—my mom didn't come up with, like, some scheme. She had no idea God was going to use this. She was so stunned after years of trying to fix me. And then she really takes her hands off, and then God used her anyway. 
uh, <laughs> in his timing, in his way. And, you know, as I, but I, I thought I was going to summarize the lessons for the website. And so I began to just kind of skim through them. I was really just looking for a few quotes or something. I wasn't reading it, but things would pop out at me. And I was like, wait a minute, I've never heard that. And I'd get curious and I'd start looking. And so I started calling her and asking her questions. And God really began to transform me over that next uh, about six months. I began to call her and ask her questions every day. I'd gone from almost never talking to her. We'd had a very estranged relationship for years with my entire family. But I started calling her every day. And, you know, it was like I, I asked my mom one day, I said, Mom, what's happened to me? Six months ago, it was 180 degrees from where I am now. All I want is to hear the word of God. And that's never been true in my life. And she said, well, I've been praying that God would draw you back like a magnet. Hmm. And I was like, oh, my goodness. I, I couldn't explain it. I knew that this was not something that she had done. This was not even something I had done. There was something supernatural happening in my heart. And it reminds me of my, one of my life verses is Psalm 107.20 that says, He sent His Word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. It was the Word of God that really began to change me. And I had, um, at one point, I really saw the change in my mom, and I asked her what happened. She told me how she'd been changed by the Holy Spirit. So I realized there was more to being a Christian than, than saying a prayer or walking the aisle, which I'd done many times in my life before. But I really, it, it was for the first time as I began to see God in his word and I began to see the holiness of God and the goodness of God. He was trustworthy. He was faithful. All these things as God built my faith through his word. And I began to see what a wretch I was. And I, I began, I really was humbled. And I began to cry out to the Lord with all my heart. And I began to confess everything I could think of but I felt like I was too bad for God. Like there was no way that God was going to want me. And so I was just very restless. I was sort of empty. And, but I had this incredible encounter with the Lord where he proved to me he was not done with me yet. And I just, I really surrendered my life to him and he filled me with his spirit. And I got truly born again at that point. I mean, I was like, wow, why didn't I ever know? Like there was a different yeah. theory. Now I understand what it means to be a new creature. And my mind began to change. I remember my desires changing. I remember the first time I felt true conviction of the Holy Spirit and not just my conscience, but all of a sudden it was something that I had a harder time overriding. It was like I felt this conviction for the first time in my life. Mm -hmm. And I began to desire the Lord, mm -hmm. but I was under so much conviction that I, God had really begun to withdraw his presence from me. And I knew he hadn't abandoned me. I knew I didn't lose him in that sense, but I knew that there was no fellowship and I began to be so miserable. I felt like I was in this deep, dark pit. But I had this vision of, of Christ getting down on one knee. He reached his hand down into the pit and he said, do you trust me? And he was asking me to literally just walk away from everything. He didn't tell me how to fix this. He didn't tell me what my life was going to look like. He didn't tell me, you know, what the next 10 years were going to look like. I just had no clue. But he asked me to just trust him and walk away. And so I walked away from everything. I gave up my identity. Uh, my job, I mean, everything I had, anything tied to that life, walked away, moved home with mom and dad, which I did not want to do at 33. <laughs> but that's what, what God put on my heart. But I was amazed as God began just step by step. It's like it's all been a work of Christ. As he began to transform me, I had no hope of transformation. I did not think I'd ever look like a girl. I didn't think I'd ever feel like a girl. I didn't think I'd ever want to be a girl. I didn't think I'd ever enjoy being a girl at all. But as I begin to reconcile with my parents, as I begin to forgive my mom, as I let go of all the bitterness, I begin to forgive the men who had hurt me. I begin to forgive the girls that had hurt me in my childhood. I begin to let go of all those things, all the jealousy. And as I begin to embrace myself and other women begin to embrace me, and I, 
a lot of the ladies in my mom's Bible study really loved on me and they began to accept me as a woman. And as I began to, like over several years, God just began to transform me. And then he began to teach me about his design of womanhood and about biblical womanhood even. And as I began to embrace that and believe that God's design was good, he healed me even more. And then uh, about, it's been a little, about a year and a half, God brought this amazing man into my life. And we were just married uh, this past May of 2022. And Congratulations. You know, thank you. <laughs> What's been so amazing about this is I, God has brought, you know, because you're sort of a mirror to each other. It's what Christ said or what Paul said in Ephesians, that marriage represents the relationship between Christ and the bride. And it's so true because so many of my, the ways that I struggle to trust God are the ways I've struggled to trust my husband. And I'm learning through him so many of these deep insecurities I have. And, and God's bringing so much healing to me and my feminine soul. And, uh, and I just love God's humor too. I don't know if uh, your guests will catch it, but my, um, my maiden name is Perry and God brought me a husband named Perry. <laughs> You've been listening to His People on Pilgrim Radio. Many thanks to our guest, Laura Perry Smaltz, author of Transgender to Transformed. She serves on the staff of First Stone Ministries. Coming up on tomorrow's program, it's Karen Covell on a prayer movement for what she calls the world's most influential mission field, Hollywood. We walk down where the press meets, where the limos are let out, where the where the people are, are walking up to the theater. And we have about 50 or 60 people every year who come and we just pray. We pray for the security guards. We have had a chance to share our faith with people working on the show. And we bless the land so that when the Academy Awards happen, we have already prayed up that whole environment. That's tomorrow at the same time, right here on His People. Thanks for listening. <laughs>